The frickin' miracle of birth. Hi everyone, this is our last pre-pandemic recording, so you'll hear us hanging out all together, but right now we're not, we're staying safe, and we hope you're staying safe too. Take care. Enjoy the episode. Um, it's the frickin' miracle of birth with Colleen O'Malley and Georgina Santos. And our guest today. Laura Larson. Yay. Yay, Laura! <laughs> So we've, it's been a bit since we've recorded, um, and just as always, I think before we launch into the birth story, we talk about this week's sponsors. Oh, yes. Um, and sponsors. Yes. So Colleen, why don't you take, what is, what is this week's sponsor? Um, this week for me is sponsored by my new catchphrase, which is, um, let me try and remember it. I think I put it in my phone. You're going to have to fill time. Well, so perfect because this week is uh, sponsored by my phone because my <laughs> life is run through my phone. So, uh, you know, screen time and limits and how it's rewiring my brain be damned because uh, I order groceries, have a social life, talk to my friends, uh, shop. I do everything. I love you, phone. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> leaning into it. This is the dystopia. Phone, you're amazing. Um, is screen oh. time the new patriarchy in your life <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> um so my new catchphrase is such luxury such frivolity but you only apply it when you're doing some like basic like thing to keep you feeling like one percent human as a mom like i clip my fingernails such luxury, such frivolity. So yes, that's my sponsor yes. for the week. I was actually thinking about that when I I was like, oh, I got to clip my nails today so during nice. nap. It's so fun. Yes, it's yes, yes. Such luxury, such frivolity. Shopping for um, period products without oh. a child with you. Such luxury. Yes. Such frivolity. Oh yeah. yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, What's this, mommy. <laughs> I know, explain like explaining tampons to your four-year-old. Like, well, I need to explain this to you because I don't want you to be a worthless man who's like, ah, cotton ball, ah, you know, yep. I hate that shit. But I also am like, I'm not in the mood to explain periods to you. That's I feel like it's work. a lot of pressure to raise a feminist boy yes. because I'm not always in the mood yet to yeah. have the conversation about the fact that I bleed out of my vagina every month. Yeah. Like, I just, I just, just don't want to explain I don't it. always have the energy. Yeah, because then it's... It, you couldn't just say that because then it's why. Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and then a 100 biology level course later. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then it's it always never like, ends. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to then tamp down the conversation when we get to preschool. And then he's like, my mommy told me about periods. Blah, blah, blah. And so, well, that's for other people's moms to tell them about. You don't need to tell them. Oh. <sighs> Let's talk about Paw Patrol. <laughs> Chase, Marshall, Sky. <laughs> so, Laura, um, thank you for coming to our podcast. No problem. And you have three birth stories, as I you do. have three children. I do. Um, but we talked about maybe just sharing one today. Yes. So... I mean, just wherever and however you'd like to begin. Sometimes we give background on, like, thinking about ba- having a baby or sometimes mm-hmm. it's, oh, I found out. But really, 
wherever and whenever we're open. Were you, okay. When you found out you were pregnant, what was going on? Set the scene. So us. this will today we'll talk about my third birth. Okay. So I've had three births, and we had decided on our like ten year anniversary trip to start trying for number three. Um, I had struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety after my second, mm-hmm. and it took a while for me to even like look at a newborn and be like. I'm cool with looking at that newborn, yeah. let alone thinking, let's have a third kid. So there yeah. was a while where we weren't sure if we were going to have a third. Um, but you didn't have that after the first one? No. Oh, interesting. No. Okay. Um, after the first one, I didn't have PPD or A, but I did have a traumatic birth, which I was like, one and done. Yeah. But then they get cute, and you're like, yeah. okay, I'll have more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I felt like I was finally at that point, mm-hmm. um, and then we went on our 10-year anniversary trip, and we kind of had a conversation. I was like, I think I'm ready. Yeah. My husband had always been the proponent of, like, lots of lots children, of yeah. but he also was like, your body, your choice. Yeah. Kind of like, I'm not going to make you go through that if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, and so once I was like, I think I'm ready, he was like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was a couple months later, December... I, it was a week where I was really sick, and I had, like, this big manager interview at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, I think my period's late. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I was sick. And so I peed on a stick, and lo and behold, mm-hmm. um, it was positive. So I was really excited. I don't know. I was really excited. It was. It's nice that it didn't take a while. Yeah. Um, and we were actually touring a school that day because Griffin was starting kindergarten the next year. And so Chris and I had driven separately. So I showed up and I was like, hey, how do you think of a minivan shopping? And he was like, are you pregnant? Oh, <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like, yes. Um, so with, I have a history of miscarriages. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I have to do when I get pregnant is immediately go into the doctor and get my progesterone te- checked mm. because I have a history of low progesterone. Um, with this pregnancy, I'd been using some progesterone lotion mm-hmm. while trying to conceive to mm-hmm. hopefully eliminate that. But I still wanted to get checked. Um, I called and the receptionist was not helpful. She's like, oh, I'll have a midwife call you back. Oh, blah, blah, blah. No one was getting back to me. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to show up. So I showed up at the midwife's office who I I'd used that. with Theo. And I was like, hi, I'm here for a blood test. They were like, do you have an appointment? I was like, no, <laughs> but I would like to get my progesterone. And they're like, <laughs> like, take my money and my blood. <laughs> And so after a little bit of kind of chaos, they were like, okay, we can take your blood. And I was like, yeah, you can. (laughs) Um, So they did. And the results came back. And it was the first time where my progesterone was normal. Um, So it was really awesome. They offered to have me take the supplements anyway, if it would make me feel better. And I was like, no, I think we're good this time. Mm -hmm. And so then, yeah, after that, I had a really low-key pregnancy with Watson. Um, Did you get sick at all during the first? I was not super sick I would feel a little nauseous when people ate lunch at work Mm -hmm. and so I would have to kind of like go for walks or do something but other than that I didn't throw up at all I wasn't getting sick like my other two Um, so it was interesting to have a different first trimester yeah I can't imagine not just being like on death's door my first three months no it was very strange and also worried me like I was very much like is this baby healthy what's going on um and so we decided to do the blood test this time Mm -hmm. mostly because I wanted to know the gender sooner Mm -hmm. um so we did that and then found out I think at 11 weeks that we were having another boy Mm -hmm. and that was fun we also found out that I have a genetic marker for Tay-Sachs then it was my first time getting genetic testing which was kind of scary yeah um to know that 
there could potentially be something wrong. Yeah. And so then Chris ended up going in to get a genetic test too, because if mm-hmm. he doesn't have it, then, then we're good. Yeah. If he does have it, then we would have to do further kind of testing yeah. along those lines. So he got he went in, he was fine. So after about a month of like stress, yeah, <laughs> then we were good and on into our second trimester, which was my favorite trimester, of yeah, course. It's the best. You have all the energy and um I could tell my pregnancy was similar to Griffin's mm-hmm. in that Griffin, um, I just felt really heavy and like mm-hmm. I gained weight a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And Griffin is your first baby. First. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Griffin was my first. Um, and I, I think I gained 50 pounds with him and he was nine pounds, four ounces. Theo was my second. And I think I gained 20 to 25 pounds with him. Um, he was eight pounds, four ounces. I don't know if those correlate at all, but I didn't feel, I felt really light with Theo. I felt mm-hmm. like I had all this energy. And with this baby, as I got into my third trimester, I was like, I feel heavy. I feel miserable. And Chris was like, maybe it's because it's summer. And I was like, I don't care why it is. I, I feel miserable. <laughs> third trimester is my least favorite. I think it's everyone's least favorite, maybe. I don't know. But mine's first, but third is a close. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I start losing my energy. I feel huge. I really, as an introvert, hate people commenting on my body yeah and so it's the third trimester where it's very clear that I'm pregnant and And everyone everyone. wants to talk about it yeah they want to talk about their birth stories (laughs) like we're talking about now they want to talk about the horrible things and the good things and give me advice and I'm just like leave me alone yeah like I really just yeah exactly don't fucking talk to me like I want to have fuck off written on my forehead I've developed this thing (laughs) where I would stand on the elevator at work because now I'm fat I have to take the elevator and which is my nightmare because I'm an introvert too. I would just get in and I would stare down into a corner <laughs> with a grumpy look on my face, and then people would. And then people wouldn't. But the second you walk in, everyone's looking at you like glow on their face, yeah. like ready to launch into some fucking shit. And then you just ice the floor, brows furrowed, and just like hunker down into like. You, it's going to be really awkward if you start this. <laughs> yeah, don't start. Yeah. I developed with my some of my younger male coworkers that don't have kids yet. Mm-hmm. They would ask ad nauseum questions when I got in. And so I started just being a little TMI with them, like making it really <laughs> uncomfortable for them. I love that. And so then they stopped asking. That's awesome. I didn't know you did. So Laura and I work together. So now I have some... That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there were a lot of really uncomfortable conversations. But I was like, hey, if you're going to ask uncomfortable com- you know, questions to me, then let's go. Yeah, I'm having a lot of discharge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the baby keeps kicking me down in my nether regions. And they're like, oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it was, that was my strategy. My nipples strategy. are really sensitive. <laughs> yeah. It's making sex not pleasurable. <laughs> <laughs> that worked this time that's awesome but um it's nice with our Georgina and I's job we had talked about I talked to my manager in advance that once I hit 38 weeks I want to work from home Mm -hmm. I'm a very unpleasant person at the end of my pregnancy to everyone Mm -hmm. and number one you don't want to be around me but I don't want to be around you and my job is very much I can work from home they had also started winding me down at that point so at 38 weeks I started working from home from full time but I feel like we're missing a big part of this birth story is that my other two births were induced, so I had never had a spontaneous birth, but I was really hoping to have one this time um, with the understanding that there are a lot of things I can't control. Yeah. And so I talked to my midwife, like, I'd love a birth center birth this time. I've had two hospital births. I'd love to experience a birth center birth. No, but also I know that, like, 
babies throw you for a loop. Mm -hmm. Um, My second child, Theo, was a breach until 39 weeks when he was flipped by a doctor. And so the biggest stressor kind of going into the third trimester was, is he head down? Yeah. And he was head down every time. And they offered me the paranoia check every time. Mm-hmm. They're like, it feels like he's head down. I was like, it feels like it. And they're like, okay, here's the little ultrasound machine. See, he's head down. Um, so going into the kind of the late third trimester, he was head down. And I was like, this is great. Like, I feel like that's the last thing. Um, and so then I started having contractions around like 36 weeks one day mm-hmm. which was very strange for me my other births I really didn't have a lot of Braxton Hicks or contractions mm-hmm. unless I was dehydrated and mm-hmm. I wasn't dehydrated this time and so it really messed with my head mm-hmm. like I went into it saying I have late babies this baby's gonna come late yeah 36 weeks one day I'm having consistent contractions and yeah. I'm timing them and I'm like oh my gosh I have an early baby I'm not ready for an early baby yeah um and then I'd go to bed every night and Eventually, I'd fall asleep, and they would go away, mm-hmm. and then the next day, we'd do it all again, and so yeah. this happened every night for the next five weeks. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I didn't was realize that. terrible. Like, I was sleep-deprived, um, but my midwives were amazing, because I would walk in there, and I would clearly be exhausted, and they would tell me, Laura, you need to take care of yourself. You need to take a sleeping pill every couple days and just get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, you need to eat. You need to drink, like, nothing else matters right now but resting your body. Yeah. Because it could be a long haul still. And I'm yeah. like, it can't be a long haul. I can't do this every day. <laughs> and they're like, well, you might have to. Yeah. Like, they were very honest with, like, this might not be it. So it was very exhausting and kind of, like, emotionally, it made me feel like maybe we'll have an early baby this time. Yeah. And I feel like that was bad because yeah. I didn't end up having an early baby. Um, so then, yeah, at 38 weeks... I went to my last work lunch and then started working from home full time. And then my best friend came to town. They were going to stay with us for a month. Um, They live in Texas. And so they came in, which was nice because then they would be able to watch the boys if something happened. And she also provided a really good distraction for me, which is what I needed at the time. Obviously, my kids weren't distracting enough. They're always there. (laughs) So her and her kids were there. And we did a lot of kind of late nights um, and a lot of walking. Yeah. But it was still the kind of same thing. Every every night, you know, I'd have the contractions. Eventually, I stopped timing them. Yeah. So I was like, whatever, this is this going doesn't away. Mean this yeah. doesn't mean anything. So at 39 weeks, I went in for my appointment with um, Candace, who's one of my favorite midwives. And I said, hey, can we strip my membranes? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm ready to get the show on the road. Yeah. I'm huge. It's August. Yeah. I'm hot. <laughs> and I'm tired. <laughs> and so your baby is, like, almost the exact Oh, but no, a year, year later. A year. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and she said, well, or you're groupie positive, so we can't strip your membranes. Mm. And that was like, wah, wah, because yeah. we had talked about a couple weeks ago, like that would be a thing we could do to get things moving, yeah. but nobody had checked my records at the time. We were just having oh, a conversation. Yeah. And she said, also, if I strip your membranes now and your body's not ready to go into labor, it's just going to give you worse contractions yeah and you're having now ones that you can't sleep through yeah and then you're going to be exhausted by the time labor comes can you talk about stripping membranes because Mm -hmm. i've only done this pregnancy rodeo once and i don't remember i i remember hearing about it but i don't remember what it is so it's when they go in to do a check like a vaginal check and they will take your bag of water and separate it oh is it attached to your uterus 
I think it's attached to your uterus. And so they'll just kind of, they call it a sweep because they circle around. So you have to be dilated a bit. Yep. Um, which I was. Mm-hmm. So you have to be dilated and they kind of sweep around. But the Got problem it. is if you're group B positive, that sweep around the water can create minuscule cracks in it. Mm. And the group B can travel up. I see. Before you're in labor. And so it's something that they don't like to do for group B, or they can't do. It's not best practice for group B positive women. So it wasn't something available to me. It's something that worked for my mom and sister. So I basically heard on the phone all the time. Have they stripped your membranes yet? Because that'll get labor going. And so it was nice to at least be able to tell them no. And they can't. (laughs) Stop calling me. (laughs) In group B, it's like, refresh my memory again too, if you don't mind. It's a naturally occurring bacteria. Bacteria. Yep. And it's It's not harmful in a lot of people have it all the time yep but it can be harmful to the baby yeah and it can be like very harmful to the baby before they started testing for group b a lot of baby died babies died from group b strep now they test for it and they do the antibiotics they're supposed to get two rounds of antibiotics before the baby's born Mm -hmm. and then the incidence of babies getting it has gone way down so it's i had it with griffin i didn't have it with theo and i had it with watson I don't know. It's random. Mm-hmm. I was hoping not to have it, but I feel like you've had every like flavor <laughs> or and like so many diverse experiences across your three births. Like you've sort of seen it from like both sides of the coin, yes. just in one way or another. The only thing I haven't seen is the OR, which I'm grateful for, but also I I think is a lot of luck on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, I feel like I've had the gamut of experiences. <laughs> So yeah, so 39 weeks, Candace is like, you just got to rest. You can talk to Diane, who I was seeing at your 40-week appointment. Um, And I was very clear with the midwives all along, and my midwives are very good at, um, they like to do things in a certain natural way, but they're also willing to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And my first baby was induced at 42 weeks um, because he was in distress. So he had been in there too long. And so while evidence shows that you can go longer than 42 weeks and some babies are fine... It was a lot of stress for me to go past 41 weeks because I knew that that hadn't been good for Griffin. Mm -hmm. And my birth with him had been so traumatic and he was in distress and had gone straight to the NICU. So I was like, 41 weeks is my max. I understand Mm -hmm. that 42 weeks is the midwife's max, Mm -hmm. but my line is drawn at 41 weeks. And they were like, okay, we'll talk about an induction plan then earlier for you. So we're kind of ticking along. We get to 40 weeks and I talked to Diane. I said, you know, next week is it. Like, a week from now is when we will be having this baby. So what mm-hmm. can we do to get him out? Yeah. And she said, well, I can't strip your membranes, but I can do a vaginal stretch. So I can, when she's checking me, when she's checking to see if I'm dilated, she can kind of just stretch stretch it, stretch it out a little. And sometimes mm-hmm. that sign- sends a signal to your body that it's time. Mm-hmm. So she did that. And I was like, yep, let's do it at this point. I'm mm-hmm. just like, get this baby out. And she did the vaginal stretch and... Was it uncomfortable? So I practice hypnobabies for my second two births. And so I tend to go into my relax. It's like a meditation. And so I did that for my ECV when they flipped Theo. And then for the stretch. And so I didn't feel like either was uncomfortable for me. But I think that was largely related to being in my head. I had my headphones in and I just kind of was in my head. Mm -hmm. Um... I think it can be uncomfortable for others, but I don't recall it being that bad compared to birth. <laughs> can, you, can 
Can you just briefly explain what Hypno Babies is yes. for any listeners who might not know? Yes. Yeah, so Hypno Babies is just kind of a natural birth um, preparation program. And no, you're not hypnotizing your baby or yourself, like the name implies. What it really is, is teaching your body to relax when facing pain. Um, so we tend to have this fight or flight response when we face pain. And when we tense and stress our bodies, it makes pain worse. Mm-hmm. And so hypno babies um, is a practice that you do from, I think it's 27 weeks on, and you're supposed to do it daily. And they have tracks that you listen to that help your body get into a relaxed state. Um, and so you practice it so much along the way, and there are triggers that it teaches you, like you say, relax, and you do certain things in, internally to your body that you think about, and then it kind of triggers your body to do that. And I found it to be very effective um, with both of those births in that sense. I don't like the track. They, you're supposed to listen to these tracks while you're in birth, and that lady <laughs> that just... That seems like way too much work. No. To have, like, headphones on and be trying to focus on... Or the one time in the hospital, we had, like, the iPod thing in, and Chris was, like, turning the Hypno Babies lady on, and I'm like, turn that shit off. Uh, yeah. Like, I do <laughs> not want to listen to that woman's voice right now. This yeah. is not relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think it was very effective for me, specifically, because I tend to get in my head, mm-hmm. and I tend to kind of stress out and tense in the moment, and so it really taught me to just let go mm-hmm. in the moment um so that's that's what it is it's like a meditation almost which is good for high anxiety people like me and what is an ecv again what does that stand for it's like i know version of the last i don't know what the ec stands for yeah. it's like external yes yeah. oh yes 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 and it's... so they like basically are massaging the outside of your belly to get the baby to turn um and we had the best doctor for that he did a, a spectacular job at it um to flip my stubborn second child around (laughs) (laughs) was it scary because that like i my one of my biggest fears was having a breech baby and then having to get a c-section yep which looking back it's like there's so many things to be afraid of why did i care that much about that um but the that getting a version scared me almost as much as same getting and i actually declined it i said i would not be getting a version Mm -hmm. to my midwives and they, it was like to over two, the first doctor we met with for the version was just too cocky. Yeah. And she was like, oh yeah, we'll flip this baby. And I was like, I don't want him to flip if he, he doesn't, want doesn't want to flip. Like, yeah. I don't want him to be injured. Yeah. There. Oh no, I got this. So I went back to Willow and said, nope, not doing this. I'll just have the C-section if he doesn't turn himself. So they talked me through it. And I said, my biggest fear is getting this version, leaving the hospital and having something happen yeah. to Theo that I don't know about. Yeah. And I understand the percentage is like point zero 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 one percent Yeah. Because it's only happened to two babies. But those two babies is enough for me to say hard pass. Yeah. And so that's what we came up with the plan to have the ECV and then induce me right away. Oh. So okay. I was under constant monitoring. Um, and the midwives weren't super cool with that plan. Yeah. But they were like, your body, You're if that's it. what's going to get you to not just have a planned C-section, let's do it. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And it was wonderful. Yeah. It worked out really well. Um, so that's what made it not scary for me. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have said no. Yeah. And I had a breech baby until 38 weeks, and I did not opt for a version either. And I just used, I did chiropractic, I saw a chiropractor and I did moxibustion and she ended up turning, oh, but, awesome. um, I just didn't want, I just like, it, I wasn't comfortable. I think yep. there's just something conceptually about somebody manipulate, cause it's just, it's just something weird and instinctual for me yep. and I couldn't do it and I didn't want 
Because really the only reason I wanted her to turn was so I could try for a vaginal birth. And I didn't want something to happen and that would be like... Well, it's just because I wanted to not have a C-section. Yeah, exactly. yeah, It's more convenient yeah. for my body. Yeah, yeah. And the doctor we ended up choosing, um, he was a, what do they call a maternal fetal medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. So he did a three-hour ultrasound before he would be willing to do the ECV. Oh, wow. To make sure, because he said sometimes babies are breached for a reason. Yes. And if Theo is breached for a reason, like maybe he's working on a heart defect or something mm-hmm. really hard, and that's why he's not turning. He's mm-hmm. like, I want to know that. And so I felt really comfortable in this doctor's hands mm-hmm. because I feel like he was so thorough about mm-hmm. it. Because um, at first I was like, is something wrong? Like, why is this ultrasound taking so long? Yeah. And he explained that he likes to make sure before he does a version, there's not something else going on. And I really appreciated that. It made yeah. me feel more comfortable oh, with totally. him. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like the ideal. Yeah. And, and that, like, the doctor took the time to get to know, like, this baby. And yep. And what's going on. Yeah, it's just... It feels like a whole universe in there, and I, I just was like, I will just go along for whatever ride. That's mm-hmm. why it was crazy when she turned. That is crazy, yeah. especially that late at the game. Yeah, it was it was really late. Maybe I was just, I think I found out at 39 weeks she had turned. It was like a... Because you were basically like a few days or a week before your planned C-section date. Yes. Because you already yes. had on the calendar. And then yes. you were like, texting me like, baby turn what the fuck is this parenting like, yes, welcome you, can't plan you have no control welcome yeah You're like welcome. they it was to the point where I, I was gonna have a plan c-section on valentine's day and they had already sent me the like surgical wipes to do the prep for my c-section at home wow. like i found out very late she was she had, was no longer breached that's crazy yes it was crazy so yeah Anyway, just a commonality in our story yes. that we've had breech babies. And Those darn stubborn breech babies. Yeah. I did, yeah, I was like trying to turn her. I was doing all the tricks. Yep, the spinning babies. Yes. And we did the Webster's technique with the chiropractor. We did a lot of... The only thing that got him to go transverse was when we went to see Star Wars. So apparently go see a loud movie and maybe your baby <laughs> <Yeah>. might <flip. laughs> That's funny because I, I did see Star Wars. Noelle, if you ever listened to this, I saw Star Wars and you did not flip. <laughs> um, so. So yeah. Um, I think we are at Diane. Yes. She did the stretch and I definitely felt a lot more consistent contractions after that. That was a Monday. But still, those petered out. Nothing happened. I had a lot of discharge. Um, I was like, maybe I'm losing my mucus plug. Woo! Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Saturday, I lost a lot of discharge that was clearly my mucus plug. But I'd never lost it like that before. Yeah. And so it's that thing where it's like a little piece comes out and you're like, that's it! Yes! Um, yes! And then you're like, oh, now let me wipe 47,000 yeah. more times. Yes, yes for exactly. For the rest of it. For yes. the rest of it. And clog my toilet. Yeah. <laughs> so this time I was like, oh, that's why, you know, people always say you'll know when it's the yeah. mucus plug. And so finally having seen it, I was like, oh, that's actually it. So on Saturday, I suspected that maybe I would be going into labor before the next Monday, which is when we would be inducing Yeah. Um, after a non-stress test that we had planned. And so I said, oh, maybe, but also we're pretty close to induction now so I'm not gonna get my hopes up yeah let's just keep trekking and so I knew and not a lot of other people knew that Sunday was going to be my last day to be pregnant Mm -hmm. I told my boss like starting my maternity leave on Monday knowing that I was getting induction but I didn't tell anyone that yeah um, because I don't want people checking in on my labor like I like to be in my peace 
And so Sunday, I remember just, I took like an Instagram video of Griffin just playing outside and me just sitting in a chair and kind of knowing that was my last day to be a mom of two. And so went to bed, just like, okay, we're getting induced tomorrow. I've done this rodeo before. It went really well with Theo. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Um, and then that night, or I guess morning, so Monday morning at 3.30 a.m., I woke up to what felt like, which is really weird to say, like a pop. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like a pop. And yes. I was just like, what was that? Yes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's really strange. So I went to the bathroom. I was like, maybe my water broke. Um, and they, since my mucus plug had been lost, there had been a lot of discharge. You know, yeah. like the end of yeah. pregnancy is just like discharge city. Yeah. And so I was like, well, it could be my water, but maybe not. I've already got an appointment today at 11 a.m., so I'll just go back to bed. So I went back to bed, and then 10 minutes later, contraction. So I woke up, looked at the clock, and was like, here we go again. Fake contractions. Yeah. Went back to bed, and then every 10 minutes for the next two hours, it was like very consistent. Yeah. Every a contraction, it would wake me up every time. So I'd fall asleep, it would wake me up. And I was like, oh, well, this is different because it's waking me up. Yeah. Um, and oh, so it around like making me want to give birth again. <laughs> I know. I love. I don't birth. really want to be pregnant again. Just the birth. Part. Just the birth part. Same. <laughs> I love the birth part, not the pregnant part. But then, so yeah, around six, I decided to call the midwife on call because it had been so consistently every ten minutes, and it had been waking me up. And so I called, and it was Ashley on call, and she yawned as she picked up the phone, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And I was like, just want to let you know what's going on. And she said, okay, if they get any closer, then plan on coming in. Mm -hmm. But if not, then just plan on coming for your 11 o'clock appointment today, Mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of come up with a plan then, depending on where you're at. Yeah. Um, And so I was letting Chris sleep, because by the third kid, you know that, like, you want at least one parent in solid sleep mode. Um, so I think it was around 7.30 that I woke him up and said, hey, I think you should take the boys to school soon. He already had the day off because we had our appointment that day and we were being induced. And I said, I think you take the boys to school soon. I'm having consistent contractions. And he was like, well, like the ones you've been having for five weeks. And I'm like, I th- these feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, okay. So he got the boys up, took them to school and came back home. And by the time he got back home, I feel like they were about every seven minutes. And it still felt to me like I could solidly just kind of breathe through them. I didn't have to stop what I was doing. It was just like, oh, that's contraction. Keep doing what I'm doing. Got all our, our bags all kind of finalized. And then I think it was 10 when we left. And it was kind of exciting. Phil and Jill are there. And Jill is kind of the reason that I pursued natural births to begin with. So she's always very excited about birth. Um, and they're like, oh, it's baby day. Because either way, it was going to be baby day. And I was like, yep, baby day. So then we drive to the birth center. And on the way there, I'm like, you know, I feel like these contractions, they're just staying the same. Yeah. Then Chris was like, well, I've been looking at the clock every time you have to kind of breathe through one. Mm-hmm. And they're about every five minutes at this point. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe maybe we're, we're moving forward here. Um, so it was really cool, like, the difference between checking into a hospital where they're, like, taking all your information and they're getting you checked in and the difference between showing up to this birth center that I've been going to every week at mm-hmm. this point. And they all know me. Mm-hmm. And they've all, you know, been chattering amongst each other like, it's Laura's day. Yeah. And so I walk in and Kara's at the front desk. And she's like, oh, hi, Laura. <laughs> Ashley's waiting for you. And then, like, the office door where the midwives have their offices open. 
I think it's Diane and Candace are in there and they're like, oh, you know, like you can see it on their face. Yeah. They are so excited <laughs> that today is your day. And I felt like it just felt like a very like, I don't know, it was just exciting. It didn't feel like I was checking into a hot, you know, it was just like, oh, today is my day. <laughs> so I go back to one of the smaller rooms, the smaller birth center room, because the office was really busy that day. And Ashley comes in and says, okay, um, you know, I have a contraction and she kind of watches me and she says, oh yeah, that seemed a little intense. And I was like, yeah, it was fine. She said, we'll check you and then, you know, we'll kind of assess from there, maybe to get things going faster. You guys can go for a walk around the lake and go get lunch because it was 11. Mm -hmm. Go eat some lunch and then, you know, we'll just make a plan from there. I said, okay. So first she checks to see if he's head down because... That's what we have to check. And their ultrasound machine machine had actually broken that morning. Oh, my god! So they couldn't check him via ultrasound. So she also had Candace come in to do a double check. And they're like, yep, I think that's head down baby. And I was like, yeah, I think I would have felt him flip at this point. Yeah. And then she does a vaginal check. And she said, do you want to know how far along you are? And I was like, yeah. You know, I'm still not certain that I'm in labor here. I still have this doubt in my mind. Yeah. So, yes, I would like to know. Plus, if you've done a check you got to fucking tell me. Yeah, exactly. If you don't think it's important for me to know, don't put your hand up my neck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, I'm very big into that of like, I don't, some people don't want to know. They don't want to know what their progress is. They think it will be mentally like demeaning. Yes. I feel like I'm going to spend all my mental energy trying to figure out from your face how far I am. Like, just tell me. Yes. She does the vaginal check and she's like, well, definitely in labor, you're at a six. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I figure, you know, like you go in and yes. you get a two or a three. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm at a six, and I was like, okay. So she, she was like, so you guys can still go for a walk, but like not the whole lake. And it, it was then where I knew, like, oh, this is we're, really this happening. is happening, and we are going. <laughs> you know, like they're kind of concerned about. They're like, you can still go, but maybe just like a fourth of the lake and then back. Wow, that's um, exciting. So it was really exciting. Yeah, it was like kind of exciting moment. I was like, okay. Did you still get food? Yes. And what did you eat? So we went we went over to Whole Foods. There was a Whole Foods across the way, and I got a peanut butter chocolate like smoothie. And I had really wanted, after every appointment, I had gotten this jalapeno bagel, jalapeno cheese bagel that they have there. It's only a dollar, which is like their cheapest pastry. (laughs) So I feel like I'm getting one over Amazon there. (laughs) And they were out of them. And I was like, you suck all foods. Um, So I think I ended up getting just like a scone or something. Um, And then Chris, I don't know what he ate. That doesn't matter. No. no. I don't know. But yeah, so I got a huge peanut butter something smoothie and then a scone because they didn't have my jalapeno bagel. (laughs) And then we went and walked around like or just a little bit of Lake Calhoun, yeah. um, which is where the birth center is. And I remember as we were walking, I, it was then when I started needing Chris's support through my contractions. Mm-hmm. Like we would stop and I would kind of hold on to him and sway a little bit. And I remember thinking as we would walk in between them, like, what do these people think? Yeah. Like all these people walk. It was a beautiful day in August. Oh, it was like so 75, cool. I think, and the wind was blowing a little. Uh, it was just one of those perfect. Minnesota days where, yeah, like we stopped and looked at Calhoun and I was like, this is a beautiful day. So all these people are walking around the lake, probably like, what's going on with that one? And it's a Monday. It's a Monday. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I just think it's so cool. Like, it's not possible for every woman, just for lots of different reasons. But, like, I think when you can, I think it's so cool to have that part of labor be not 
in a medical setting. You mm-hmm. know, you're yes. just like doing it. Yep. Your body's fine. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. Like, the baby's not falling out of me. Yeah. Trust me, there will be some work that has to happen yes. before this baby is coming out. It's <laughs> just so cool. And it was very serene. Like it mm-hmm. definitely felt very peaceful, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool. And then when we, so we went just a little bit and headed back um, and went and got our bags from the car to move into the room. And we met Ashley, the midwife, in the parking lot. And she had said, I remember thinking it was weird at the, at the time, but she was like, yeah, you guys should definitely head back up now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, it turns out that she had forgotten that I was group B positive, oh, And we should have done that first round of antibiotics right, right away. Yeah. Um, so she was a little stressed yeah. to get me on that so I could get my two doses before he came, um, especially because... My labor was progressing so quickly, according mm-hmm. to them, um, that they were worried I was going to give birth before I had yeah. two rounds. So we went up. Because they have to be, like, what, four hours? Four hours apart. apart. Okay. Yep. We went up, and then I feel like one of the many empowering moments was when they said, okay, we've got to do your IV now. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be hooked up to, like, the little rolling cart thing? Or we can, we can push it. So that means that someone will just sit there and kind of push the medicine into the IV that's in my arm until it's done, and then I'm not hooked up to anything. And I and they said one is fat, that one's faster. And Mm -hmm. I said I want to do, I want you to push it. Yeah. Um, because I just want it to be done. Yeah. And so they went, and Grace was the student midwife that was there at the time, and so she went and pushed the antibiotics as Chris was kind of setting up the room and putting all my stuff out and. Um, getting essential oils and all the mm-hmm. the stuff ready. And so then we just kind of, they left us in the room and said, let us know if you need anything. Mm-hmm. We're here. Chris's job is to make sure you're eating and drinking. And I was like, I'm not really hungry. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you need to be taking a bite of one of your bars mm-hmm. every 10 minutes. They really wanted me to eat and be drinking as well to make sure that I had, and they're like, you need energy for the last part of labor. Mm-hmm. And once you get to transition, you're not going to be able to eat because yeah. you're going to feel sick. Yeah. Um, and so that was good of them. They kept coming in and being like, take a bite. And I would take a bite begrudgingly. And I would drink. I was drinking watermelon water. Huh. Oh, was, from Whole Foods? From Whole Foods. Yes, yes, girl, yes. I know that. I don't like coconut water. And that's supposed to be really hydrating. But watermelon water also has electro- electrolytes. So I was drinking that, um, which you'll find out later why it was a bad idea. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I was drinking like these giant liters of watermelon water. And so we kind of labored for a while, and they started filling up the tub. And they're like, do you feel like getting in the tub? And I said, yeah, I'm not super feeling that right now. But I'm like, okay, we'll just fill it up so it'll be ready when you're ready. And eventually my contractions were getting intense enough that I was like, let's try the water. I've never birthed in the water before. Let's just see what this is all about. And the birth center tub is this big round tub. It's like a porcelain tub, so it's not one of those blow-up ones. And so eventually I said, let's get in. And so I got in the tub and they have this nice little silicone thing that goes behind your head. You can kind of lean on. So I birthed in there for, I would say, probably about a half hour, maybe 45 minutes. And I just wasn't feeling it. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't feel like I could get a good position in the water. It's almost like the tub was too big. I couldn't control how my body was moving. Like when I was having contractions out of the water, I could lean mm-hmm. on Chris, or I could lean on a pillow, or I could grab something, and in there, it was slippery. Yeah. And so it felt like I was just, I couldn't move my body the yeah. way I wanted to. 
got out and I said, I feel like I want to sit on the toilet. And, you know, that's like the red alarm for natural births. They're like, oh, do you feel like you need to poop? Because that's pushing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like, it just didn't, I couldn't feel it. And they said, your body will know when it's ready to push. Yeah. And I was so used to people checking me and telling yeah. me when I was ready to push that I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I felt a lot of doubt in myself that I didn't really know what I was feeling. Yeah. So we went over to the um, to the toilet to, in the little bathroom there. And all through this, they're checking his heart rate every 30 minutes for their like intermittent checking. And the nurse there at the time was not my favorite. And she could never find his heart rate. And, and it would like, freak me out every time. And Chris was also like, you're looking in the wrong spot. Like every time she would come and put it on one side of my belly and she would find it on the other side. And she still kept putting it. So that started really driving me nuts. Yeah. I was just like, can we not? But she would come to wherever I was at. So I was like leaning over the back of the toilet. And she was like crouched next to the toilet, like with the little monitor there, mm-hmm. like trying to find it. So I appreciated that, that she was willing to kind of be wherever I was at. My standard transition signal is that I throw up. Yeah. And so Chris was in there with me and I was like, I feel like I need to throw up. And so they grabbed one of those little baggies Mm -hmm. and I started throwing up watermelon water everywhere, which (laughs) looked lovely. (laughs) So I threw up in the little bag and filled it completely up and still needed to throw up. So then I went to the sink. Started throwing up in the bathroom sink. And then my mom brain, I guess, went on. And I was like, oh, the sink is a terrible place to throw up. <laughs> so then I turn around and start throwing up in the toilet. <laughs> and so through all this, I've made like a huge mess of the bathroom. It's just like watermelon water throw up everywhere. It looks disgusting. It's like red Kool-Aid. Oh. So I was like, I'm going to just make my, make my exit. <laughs> I'm just going to leave this bathroom. <laughs> and... Sorry. Um, does the throwing up only last for like a couple minutes? It you? does, okay. but it was a lot this time. I think yeah. because they had me eating and drinking. So well yes. yes. <laughs> um, but the the nice thing about having the student midwife and the nurse and the midwife, and I think there was someone else there too. Like a doula or something. Yeah. Like a random doula. Just a random person. That's, I feel so like they. A, so I was at the same place. I didn't give birth there, but like they have so many people. There's around. just people and around. Oh, the Reiki lady. Have her come in. <laughs> <laughs> the nipple lady. Have her come in. <laughs> and everyone's like, ooh, birth. Yeah. You know, they're all excited, so they all want to be in there. So they cleaned it up. I think the next time I looked over at the bathroom, like 10 minutes later, it was spotless. Wow, that's like, amazing. You guys are great. Um, so then at some point, it had been a while. It had been at least four hours since we had gotten into that room because they said, okay, it's time to do your next round of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So it was great because we ended up getting the two rounds that we needed. Mm -hmm. Um, So Grace came over and was giving it to me and I started having a contraction. And so, and I am not a touchy person. I'm very like, I'm not a hugger. Mm -hmm. I don't like other people touching me. So the fact that I felt comfortable enough, I like literally threw my arms around her and leaned on her shoulder Mm -hmm. um, and started like swaying. She started swaying with me. Mm -hmm. So she stopped doing the medicine and just started meeting me where I was at with my contraction. And I just, so it was cool. another one of those cool moments of like, she doesn't care about the fact that we're doing this right now. Yeah. She understands that like, this is only going to be 60 to 90 seconds. Yeah. So let's just be in this moment. Um, and so it was really cool. Like, it was cool that I felt comfortable to do that with her because normally I wouldn't have. Yeah. And also that she was just, she, you know, supported me without holding on to whatever syringe she had been holding on to. And then once the contraction was over, she finished pushing the medicine in. And at this point, I was quite uncomfortable and starting to feel discouraged. Mm -hmm. 
Theo's birth had happened so fast because I was induced that I expected Watson's to be the same. So once I had heard I was six centimeters, I was like, ooh. Oh, it's time to go. It's time. And so here we are hours later, Mm. and I still think I just maybe went through transition, but now I'm doubting. Maybe it wasn't transition. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I have to push yet. Um, And at this point, I forgot to mention earlier that my water had not broken. So that popping, we don't know what it was, Mm -hmm. but my water was still intact. And I had this secret hope that I could have a baby born in call, which means they were born in their water sack. Um, It's like one in, it's very rare. Yes. And every time someone has broken my water for an induction, they're like, oh, you have a really strong water sack. So I was like, if anyone's going to have an in call baby, it's going to be me. (laughs) Um, So I'd had that secret hope, I guess, that that would be really cool. But I was, yeah, I was starting to get discouraged. I remember saying to Chris a couple times, I don't think I can do this. And, you know, that's always the sign that you're close. Yeah. (laughs) So they're all like, you can do it. Yeah. So I said, I think I want to get in the tub again. They're like, okay, let's get in the tub again. So I get in the tub um, to try and kind of ease the discomfort and the pain that I was feeling. And I remember I was holding Chris's hand and he knows after having been through two births with me that... One should not talk to me while I'm having a contraction, especially saying, like, encouraging things. Mm-hmm. Like, you can do it, la-di-da. With Theo's birth, him and the nurse had been doing that. And I was like, I yelled at them. I was just like, <laughs> you are sounding very condescending right now yeah. because I'm in a lot of pain and you're using, like, these fluffy, happy voices. So yeah. you all just need to shut it. Yeah. <laughs> and so he knew that the only thing he should be saying during contractions was, like, the labor breathing, the horse lips, they call it, mm-hmm. where you go... Pfft. So he would just do that if he noticed me not breathing mm-hmm. or he would touch my shoulder to remind me to relax. Aww. So he knows this, but the nurse does not. Oh. <laughs> and so she keeps like saying these encouraging things. And I remember thinking in my head, I wonder how long before I snap at her. <laughs> like, like how long before I'm just going to let it all. Um, but she ended up leaving the room at some point. And so then it was fine. But I remember having that distinct thing. I I had been closing my eyes for a while and just kind of trying to relax, knowing that I was tense. I remember opening my eyes. I was holding Chris's hand, and Ashley, the midwife, was in front of me. Then I, like, turned around, and Grace and someone else were behind. And they were really that definition of midwives holding the space. Mm -hmm. They really weren't saying anything. It was just like they were there Mm -hmm. and ready, but they weren't intervening. And it was another one of those cool moments that felt like I was like in this aura of support, Mm -hmm. but still like they were respectful of the fact that I was the one doing it. Yeah. So then eventually um, I said, I'm done in this tub. Like Mm -hmm. second time wasn't the charm. Get me out of here. And I find getting like dried off and like out of the tub just to be the most annoying process ever. Cause when you're in that much like labor distress, you're like, I have to like get dry and put on like another garment. Like to me, so I didn't, I, I stayed wet, and the nice thing about the birth center is that the bed is at bed level. Mm -hmm. And so what I would end up doing is I would roll over onto the bed when I was in between a contraction. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that kind of dried me off, or they dried me off and I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Could also be the case. Like, someone may have come. They had this big fluffy robe, and so they would come and just put the robe on me. So maybe that dried me off, too. Um, I don't recall being annoyed about it. (laughs) And I get annoyed about a lot of things. So... (laughs) But so Ashley had said, do you want me to check you? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to check you? And since your water hasn't broken yet, we don't think, do you want me to break your water? Mm -hmm. And at this point, I was like, yes. Let's get this show on the road. I'm done, done, done. 
And so, you know, we got on the bed and she checked, she broke my water mm-hmm. and she let me know that when she broke it, she was going to have to wait for his head to fall on her fingers mm-hmm. to make sure that he didn't have a cord prolapse. Mm-hmm. And so she was going to be in there a while. I was like, oh, yay. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what I want right now. But at that point, I was ready to be done. So she broke my water and said, you're at a nine plus. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're going to be ready to push soon, but it seems like your bag was bulging. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that's why I was so confused about pushing. Mm -hmm. It's like my body was giving me some pushing signals because my bag was just like bulging out like a baby head. Yeah. But he wasn't there yet. He wasn't there. He was. It wasn't enough pressure for me to feel like it's time. That's so interesting. (laughs) So it was very interesting. That before. Yeah. So I was glad that she broke it, and then after that, she's. I think she could very much tell that I was done. Yeah. And so she said, "Let's try some positions to help." get him down and ready and so she had us do a runner's lunge where I put my one leg up on a bench and then every contraction I would squat and Chris is like supporting my weight this whole time there was a a lot of weight imagine doing that what a rock star yeah runner's lunge like I don't even know if my leg would have gone up that far I really do like the like, um, what is it? Just like four on the floor, but I was on a bed. I can't even think of the word right now, but I would do that. And then I would like collapse after the contraction. And I was, I did that for like three contractions. Then I was like, I'm too tired. To do this. Done. Done. That's insane. I will say that Chris was supporting my weight the whole time. And so when I would be done with the contraction, I would literally just fall oh, into him. Yeah. Um, so we did that three of those three contractions like that. And Ashley said, do you want to try the rebozo scarf? Mm-hmm. So they have this back hallway that connects the two birthing rooms and it has a scarf that's attached to the wall and it has some knots in it. And I was like, sure, I'm willing to try anything at this point. Yeah. I'm sure I didn't say it that nice. I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, so we go in there and in my head this whole time, I've been saying, I've been having some negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. This hurts. Why did I choose to have natural birth? La, da, da. And the few times I had vocalized it, they had said, you know, you can and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But I distinctly remember, so we get back there and she said, okay, when you have a contraction, you're going to hold on to this scarf, you're going to squat and then get up on your toes. So I don't know what's that call- oh, that's called. Oh my God. It's called, how is that physically possible? You're <laughs> in labor. I know. <laughs> but women, like women are amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had put my head against the wall while we're waiting for a contraction. And I remember internally saying, Watson. We got this. We can do this. Let's go. Um, and I feel like that was like the pep talk I needed. Yeah. And it's so amazing what your mind. It was totally a mind. To yeah, it was a mind game at that point. And having told myself, Watson, we got this. You are coming out, and you are coming out soon. Yeah. And so we do the first. So I I start having a contraction, and Chris is behind me this whole time. So I. We do the first one, and I feel him mm-hmm. coming. Like, it is a very a distinct feeling. If you've ever had a natural birth, they call it the ring of fire. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like fire, but I was just like that. I, and I remember saying, he's coming. Mm-hmm. And Ashley, the midwife, is kind of in front of me, leaning against the wall, like, under. Mm-hmm. And they put this pillow with, like, dressing over it mm-hmm. under me, just in case, like, the baby falls out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I said, he's coming. And so she reaches up and it's like, Yes, he is. And so the instant she says that, Grace and Nina, the nurse, are like, 
kick into gear. Yeah. They bring, so we're in this hallway and the lights are down low. So they bring like a lantern over. <laughs> and it was very much one of those moments where I feel like had we been in the hospital, they'd be like, okay, let's move to the bed now. But they're like, no, we're having a baby in the hallway. Awesome. Um, so they bring all this stuff for Ashley. Um, and I have, it was two more. So the first contraction, I could feel the ring of fire. And so when I was like, he's coming. I pushed one more time. Um, and then once after that, so three pushes and his head was out but he had a double loop. So his cord was wrapped around his neck two times. Mm. And so Ashley was like, we've got a double loop. Laura, I need you to stop pushing and lean back on Chris. So Chris leans back against the wall. I lean back against him. So I'm not, I don't have any weight other than my legs. And she unwraps his loop and then says, okay. And then he comes out. Wow. So at this point, it, she immediately puts him on my chest. So I'm like Theo, who I was able to kind of bring myself because she had to unwrap his cord. She brought him to my chest, and I just remember being, it's like that euphoria, yeah. you know? It's just like, we did it. I remember telling him, we did it. We did it, Watson. And then at some point, as we're preparing to deliver the placenta, it dawns on me that Chris has been, like, squatting and supporting me <laughs> for quite a while. So I remember turning back to him and saying, honey, you can sit down now if you want. <laughs> and he was like, in his very Chris way, no, nah, I'm good. And then I look down, and there's just birth all <laughs> over the hallway. It's just like a mess. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you probably don't want to sit down. He was like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> that was another funny, I feel like, moment yeah. in the birth where he was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Can you imagine him being like, hell no, yes. I'm not sitting in this mess. So yeah, we delivered the placenta, and then they moved us over to the bed and kind of checked. I only had a small tear, so they said we would like to let your, you know, so you know your swelling go down, and then we'll see if you need some stitches. Yeah. And they all left. They left the room. And they said, "Now is your time. You know, let us know if you need anything, but just be here with your baby." What time was he born? He was born at five thirty. Okay. So it was really only six and a half hours after we had gotten to the birth center, mm-hmm. and. 14-hour labor. Um, it felt longer. Of yeah. course. In between moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was born at 5.30 p.m. So, yeah. So, um, Watson was born. The midwives leave. And it's just you three mm-hmm. together. Sitting That's... in, like, a big king-size bed with, like, all these pillows surrounding us. It was very peaceful. It was very... He, nur- he latched right away and nursed for a while. And then, you know, I just, we did skin to skin and I just, you know, like, I don't know, looked at them. Yeah. Did you call your other boys or how did you let them know that their brother was here or did you wait a while? We waited a while and we had done this with Theo. Um, Nobody actually knew we had Theo until 24 hours after we had him. They all just thought I was in labor for a long time Mm -hmm. because I like being in my space Yeah. um, and kind of as long as people know we're healthy and we're going, like, I just need some time to not be fielding texts and calls and whatnot. With Watson, we didn't wait as long. Um, We ended up texting Phil and Jill and letting them know that he was here and then saying maybe we could FaceTime the boys before bedtime. And bedtime for them was, like, 7.38. So we ended up FaceTiming them in, in a hilarious show of Theo, my third, becoming not the baby anymore yeah. um so phil they're on jill's phone facetiming us and phil has pictures of theo 
and he's got he's got a great RBF. He's had it his whole life. <laughs> we always talk about his RBF, and he's got his RBF on, um, his arms crossed, very much like WTF. <laughs> Why are you there and I'm here? Why is there someone else in your arms? Like he was not pleased. How old was he at the time? <laughs> he was three and a half. Okay, yeah. So he had been the baby a while. Yeah. And he was just very much like, I'm not happy that you're not here. I'm not happy. So it was interesting. Griffin was very excited and all Jill's kids were like, oh, baby. Um, but it was, Theo was not pleased. And then I kind of texted everyone else to let them know. Eventually the midwives came back in and it was shift change. And so they really wanted the midwives and Grace, they wanted to know how much you weighed <laughs> before they left. They're like, can we weigh him, please? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. You can weigh him. So he was 8 pounds, 14 ounces, 15, whatever the last ounce is. He was almost 9 pounds, 21 inches, I think. So they weighed him and did all the checks. Um, I ended up not needing any stitches this time, which was nice. They did all the pediatric kind of checks and did his footprints. Mm-hmm. And then they discharged us, I think, at 9.30 p.m. Wow. Yes. I didn't realize you don't stay there. You do not. And it was one of the draws for me is that I hate being in the hospital afterwards. I feel like labor and delivery nurses are amazing Mm -hmm. and postpartum nurses suck. (laughs) And maybe that's just my experience, but they're mean and they never get my meds in time because I'm really low maintenance. Um, And I'm like, well, I need ibuprofen too. Just because I didn't have a C-section doesn't mean I don't need some ibuprofen. Yeah. (laughs) And so I always hated my post-birth experiences in hospitals. And so I was very excited to be able to just go home. The theory around birth centers sending you home so soon is because there's this period of time where newborns are very sleepy, and it's usually within the first 12 hours after birth where they will sleep for four to six hours. Mm -hmm. And that's the last time they will sleep that long for, like, ever. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) For a very long time. And so they really want you to be home and comfortable in your bed so you can sleep during that full period. Yeah. And when you're at the hospital, they're coming in to check you, and they're coming in to check the baby. Um, and so the midwives just want you to go and sleep, assuming everything looks good. And they send you home with papers of how often Chris is supposed to take my temperature and Watson's temperature, and how often they're supposed to check, we're supposed to check Watson's breathing. I think it was once every three or four hours. Um, so we're supposed to mark it on a paper for when they come visit us the next day. So I remember driving home, and it was nice because he was so little he didn't cry at all. And my other kids driving home from the hospital at 48 hours old were pissed. Yeah. They were in their car seats. They're yeah. like, what is this contraption? Yeah. Whereas Watson was so... He just wanted to go back to sleep. He was just like, oh, I'm, I'm out in my car seat. And the moon was like this big orange oh, pumpkin so moon, cool. I call it. And so we were like going into the full moon with me in the back seat with Watson. Um, it was really cool. And we got home and I have all this adrenaline and I have to tell Jill. And Jill's like, Laura, you just gave birth. Go lay down, yeah. <laughs> like get out of this but you're kitchen. So excited, you're just yeah, baby exactly. And, like, and here he is. Yeah, exactly. So, so I went back to my bed, and I don't think I left the bed other than go to the bathroom for the next week. Um, it's one of the things the midwives are very big on is that mm-hmm. the first week you need to be they call it in and around your bed, mm-hmm. and the second week you need to be in and around your house. So you shouldn't be doing anything. Um, and they basically tell your partner like you're on. And so yeah, I stayed in bed and hung out with Watson. Grace, the student midwife, came to visit us the next day. It was actually the day two days later because we got home at 10 p.m. They usually do a 24 to 36 hour check, but it was going to be late at night. So then they did it the next morning, Wednesday morning. So 
So he's born on Monday, Wednesday morning they came and did all the like metabolic screening tests and checked his hearing and did all those typical hospital tests, but they were at our house. Um, so I didn't get out of bed while they were checking him. Wow. That was it. And how was your postpartum period like with Watson? So my postpartum period, it was one thing that Willow was good about this time because I had such bad postpartum depression and anxiety with Theo, my second was to make sure I had a care plan in place um, to that I had pre-talked to my therapist to say I might be coming in, that my medications, I take um, medication that they were where I needed them to be, but they were also checking in on me for those things. And I feel like my anxiety and depression were largely good until about the six-week point. I think that's when the sleep deprivation really hits you. Yeah. I feel like you have all you this run adrenaline. Out of a tank. Yeah, you run out of a tank, and eventually it's around six weeks that it empties. Your tank is gone, and that's when I had my six-week appointment. And so Ashley had recommended, she's like, I want you to go back to your therapy. I want you to be in therapy, and would you be okay with upping your medication? And so we upped my medication at six weeks, but I feel like the biggest difference maker was the therapy. Mm -hmm. Like, it was having this weekly place to kind of dump Mm -hmm. on... I mean, moms, we don't get to dump on anyone. No. Everyone's dumping on us all the time. All and the time. All the time. And so it felt like this place where I could just go and be like, bleh. <laughs> and she would tell me I was a good mom, and she was telling me I was doing a good job, and she would say, what would you tell you if you were your best friend? Yeah. And I'd say that I was kicking ass at this motherhood thing. Um, and so I feel like that my care plan really came through for me in Watson's postpartum because it was really, by the time I went back to work at four months, I really didn't have a lot of anxiety and depression. I ended up weaning back down my medicine to my stable dose around five months postpartum. Um, And I'm still seeing my therapist because I think it's a great investment in myself. Mm -hmm. But I feel like my care plan really did well for me. Um, It was a hard transition for the older boys, harder than I anticipated. Because as compared to when Theo was born, Griffin was two. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he just, after a month, he didn't remember. Yeah. He didn't remember a time when there wasn't a Theo. Yeah. Whereas Griffin being six and Theo being almost four, they knew. Mm -hmm. This was different. And they also changed schools two weeks after I had Watson. So huge changes. (laughs) Just big Big changes. And so that was really hard on my, like, mom self. Like, not feeling like a good mom. Um, And three and a half is just a hard age. Even with no transitions, it's like they're just moody all the time moody is and then a six they call the wobbly tooth age oh. because they are moody a lot um so we just had some some moody oh. kids <laughs> some behaviors but other than that like recovery wise i recovered really well if no one has ever told you that your cramps get worse with each baby your postpartum cramps so right after to make your uterus shrink down they get worse with each baby I don't know that. but this time they had told me to pee before I fed him because when you breastfeed that's when you get the most cramps and then to have the warm pack ready and so I did that this time and I felt like it actually helped alleviate some of the cramps and the pain as compared to with Theo where I was like why did nobody tell me this is gonna be so much more terrible um and then yeah my recovery other than I mean TMI but like my hemorrhoids this time were terrible oh yeah I forgot about that that's really and I think at my six-week appointment, I was like, when is this supposed to get better? And they had put me on, like, a Miralax, loosen your stools Mm -hmm. regimen to, like, make it help alleviate it. But, so that was not fun. But the things we do for babies. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I like, I just remembered that my uterus could, I was like, oh, that feeling. I literally have forgot. I'd forgotten. I, I don't like remember that feeling. And now I'm like, the part I remember is when they contract it for you right after you oh, pass yeah. oh. through birth and they're like squishing your tummy and you're like, get your hands off me, bitch. My yes. uterus is done now. Yeah. <laughs> Adam yes. and I were just laughing about how I had, they just had, I, after I had my C-section, they gave me the post-op room and they were like, you know, rubbing my belly, doing all this stuff. And it took me a while. I like demanded, I was like, I'm going to see my baby. I want to breastfeed. I like demanded to get wheeled there. Cause they're like, you're still recovering. But I went over there and Adam comes up to me. He's like, where were you? And I was like, where were you? What the fuck? <laughs> oh, just having a cig. <laughs> Hanging out. So I might make an appearance here. Might yes. stop by. <laughs> like, Do a celebratory champagne on my way in. Because apparently Noelle had been like rooting on him and like was like really hungry and like they the nurses kept like threatening like we're gonna give her formula if like Georgina doesn't get here oh, and so gosh. yeah. So I just that was just where were you? Yeah, that was just like my funny like that's what I when I think about getting my uterus massaged, I remember that. I remember with Theo I almost because that was my first natural birth mm-hmm. and I think the nurses are used to you being on an epidural and so they come in and they start pushing on you and they didn't warn me that it was gonna hurt. Mm-hmm. And I was holding Theo and I remember I like practically threw him yeah, to Chris. You're like, yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> The other nice thing about being home is that nobody was doing that to yes. me. <laughs> so, yeah. And, I mean, how did you make home relax? Because I cannot imagine coming home and being able to relax because this place runs because of me. And so, like, did how did you plan to just be able in a bubble? Or are you good at kind of shutting off, like... The things that need to get done. I mean, maybe it's because, yeah, you just gave birth and you don't think about those things. But I know I have a hard time turning that off. So how was that for you? I feel like with every kid, your standard gets lower for your life. <laughs> and like what needs to happen in your life. But we also have a really good layout in our house. And then our master bedroom is kind of back in the back. Um, and it's a very large master bedroom. So we have the rocking chair set up in there. And we have a bathroom in there. So I just didn't so you leave. Really stay in there. I just stayed in there, and in there was, I mean, newborn clean. There's like newborn shit everywhere, but mm-hmm. there was no like kid shit. Yeah. And there's no dishes that I could see. I'm mm-hmm. sure they were there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that helped. And then I just didn't leave the room because I'm sure had I left there, I would have probably been like, these dishes need to be done. Um, so I think that's why the midwives tell you to just stay in bed. Yeah. <laughs> what about your boys? Do they come bother they, you? Yes. And it was hard because. Um, our friends were still there for, I think, three days after Watson was born. They were planning on leaving Thursday. In the morning, all of the kids would come elephanting into the room. Mm-hmm. And that was the one time Chris, like, snapped. Is Watson, his second day, was up all night just screaming because mm-hmm. he had to poop. Eventually, he <laughs> pooped and he was fine. And so I had fi- he had finally fallen asleep after pooping, and I had fallen asleep, and all the kids are coming elephanting in the room. And Chris was like, get out. <laughs> like, she just fell asleep. Um, so that part was hard. But they were still in daycare. My kids were. And so Chris would take them to daycare every day. And so it felt like that was our time to just be chill for that period. But it was, I mean, yeah, it's hard having them there and like being like, what's going on? There's a little baby. But it's also kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But they were excited about him and wanted to hold him. And... Wow. Well, 
Thank you, Laura, for sharing your story. Yeah, I know (laughs) that was a really fun birth story to hear because it it's you. I feel like you had so many cool moments Mm -hmm. in your birth. It was a very empowering birth. I really, I really liked Watson's birth. I'm a very big advocate for birth center births. If that's something you choose to do and you're able to do, I understand that what not everyone can. Um, obviously, with my second birth and my first birth, I didn't have the option. But if you have an option and you're passionate about natural birth, I feel like the difference in experience for me was just, it was amazing. Yeah. So. And once you're, if you're at a birth center, if you want natural birth, if you're at a birth center, the chances you're going to have it are like, Yep. percent whereas mm-hmm. if you're at a hospital I still feel like there's this weird 50 50 chance mm-hmm. because it's just so easy to then get an epidural yep but when exactly. you're at a birth center you're just not in that mindset because there's the medicine isn't there it's you not a have choice. to physically get on an ambulance and go yes. to a hospital which is like nobody wants to do that I often wonder had I had Watson at the hospital would I have chosen an epidural like mm-hmm. I did with Griffin because I did reach a point in that birth where I was like done yeah Um, but I I didn't have a choice I mean I did I could have gotten to an ambulance but that sounded terrible I was like we're (laughs) we're doing this so yeah it definitely was a very empowering experience that's awesome well thanks so much for sharing yes thank you Laura oh do we have a birth fact this episode I'm never prepared for this well we We've heard a lot of birth facts. Yeah, you you peppered in a lot of birth (laughs) facts. I know, and it was a good refresher. There were things I, like, hadn't thought about in years, literally years. It's funny what your mind forgets. Yes, yeah. I think by design. Yes, I, yes. I totally think that Otherwise that's how... I never do it again. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I feel like it's not, it's not my birth that at all is preventing me from having another. Mm-hmm. It, not at all. <laughs> It's the money, no. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a better childcare I, option. <laughs> I know there was. Um, I was listening to, or not listening. I was reading this article about how the CEO, um, he made the minimum wage in his company seventy thousand, and he paid himself that too. And they had forty babies born. Wow! And it was like a company of like one fifty. That's crazy. Yeah, but it just gives to show you, like, when you, you know, support families. Like, because we're talking, I think there's there's all these stats floating around about how the national fertility rate is plummeting. And, um, yeah, it's because it's absolutely 100% logical to not have a child because you are going to not get any help. Yes. And, and so I think it just shows you if you want to support families and you want to boost the fertility rate, pay people more. It's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It's not a difficult policy. It's, no. there are so many problems that would be solved by simply paying people more. Yeah. So I heard recently that Netflix is paying people to have their eggs frozen. And I don't know what the rest of their family leave policy is, but to me, I'm like, that's fine. If you want to do that, whatever. But that is not helpful what is really helpful is like giving people good maternity leave mm-hmm. and a high enough paying job so that they can pay for daycare yeah. not like i'll just put this problem off until i'm 47 you know like if that's your choice that's your choice but like for most people what would be better and yep. more ideal would be have the child like you know when you're a little bit younger and you can just afford to do it and you don't feel like you have to be like waiting waiting forever Well, I feel like we definitely will end up having a huge workforce problem because 
the families that are having a lot of children traditionally are people who have a stay-at-home mother. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a subset of people that are doing that. And so there's studies that show that when you have a stay-at-home parent, you're more likely to become a stay-at-home parent. Yeah. So I feel like there's this huge workplace drain that's happening because mm-hmm. working parents are only having one kid yeah. or two. And um, stay-at-home parents are having way more. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like, do we, we, we can't afford to not have women working. Yeah. Like, I don't think people realize that. Yeah. Um, we need to have both genders in the workforce. Yeah. And, and so I've, it's an economic issue, too. I've heard... I can't remember where this was cited from, so someone will have to look it up if they actually give a shit. But that, like, the idea of stay-at-home mothering, which is great and wonderful. If you can afford that and that works for your family, like, I'm super in support of it. But just the idea that that's, like, the natural way, quote-unquote, in the way that it should be is just this weird concept that got introduced, like, in the night or eight, the, it, like, sometime in the mid-1900s. Um, they were like, this is what we're doing now. But before mm-hmm. that, like, women were always working or contributing to whatever the work was, whether it was farming or gathering or, you know, whatever kind of work forever, basically. And before grandmas that. have been watching kids. Because there was forever. always extended family around. Yeah. So this idea that like, oh, now everything should be on the stay-at-home mom and she's going to do all the housework and take care of the kids 24 fucking 7 and have all these million kids and do everything by herself is just like completely crazy yeah. because we've always been like part of the the child rearing and part of the work whether that's getting the food or going into the factory or the whatever mm-hmm. so it's just sort of like this concept that a lot of people feel like i don't know there's some like moral divide on it and mm-hmm. it's i don't know it's just interesting that it's made up like most it's made things, up most yeah. things are, are made up yeah and they are made up to serve men and men's interests <laughs> the <laughs> patriarchy <laughs> That is all. End period dot. No debate. Thank no, you. If you want to hear more about that, go to our alternate podcast. <laughs> fucking the patriarchy. <laughs> fucking everybody in the ass. <laughs> well, this is this is a way off topic now that we went down that road, but um, this is the one birth fact I found, and it was true in your labor, that your water won't always break before labor. Um so only one in ten mothers experience their water breaking before the onset of labor. So even though that happens in the movies all the time, most people don't experience that. So. Except for Georgina. And Colleen. I did for both of mine. No way. Although in theory, I could have been in labor okay. much before that. Because I had strong backs and hicks the whole, okay. like from 25 weeks on. Mm-hmm. So I could have been in some version of it before my water broke. But that for me, that was the signal of like, this is really happening. Yeah. Interesting. So... All right, that's been this episode. Thanks again, Laura. We'll see you all next time. Or I guess we'll talk to you all next time. (laughs)